Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Seems Like Diet Culture podcast. I am so grateful that you are here. If you are new to me, my name is Mallory Page, and I'm a registered dietitian, and I'm also the host of this podcast, which I created because I wanted to be able to have conversations around nutrition and wellness and fitness in a non-diet way. So much of what you guys hear out there is infiltrated by diet culture, and it makes it extremely hard to make educated decisions on how we want to lead our life around food and exercise and even just our mental health in relation to these things. So I hope that as you leave the podcast today, you feel that you have more accurate representation of both sides of the debate rather than just what's being thrown around in the media. And I especially hope that you feel that way with this particular episode because we are talking about seed oils. This has been a highly requested episode, but honestly, the information and the research takes so much time to put together in a way that is understandable, informative, and unbiased. So, it, it's just been a long time coming, and I really hope that as you listen to this, you can accurately hear both sides so that you can make decisions on how you feel like things are being portrayed in the media and if they're being portrayed accurately. I'm going to share the quote-unquote bad side of seed oils. I'm going to share the quote-unquote good side of seed oils, the arguments for both and the research for both. But then I'm also at the end going to delve into my personal opinion as someone that is non-diet and does work with many people that has struggled with their relationship with food and even had orthorexia myself and had an extreme fear of seed oils for a really, really long time. I want to just dive into it because there is a ton of information for this episode, and I'm very excited to go into it all with you guys. So we have to start off with the obvious place. What the heck is a seed oil? I mean, we heard it, we hear it thrown around all the time, but I honestly feel as if there are a lot of people that don't even really know what it is because the way that it's spoken about is misrepresented. So seed oils are often called even industrial seed oils, and they are a type or subset of vegetable oils that are derived from seeds and are typically higher in linoleic acid. We're going to be talking about that a lot, so pin that in your brain. The list of seed oils includes corn, canola, cottonseed, soy, sunflower, safflower, rice bran, and peanut. But outside of that, there are also vegetable oils, which are all oils or fats derived from plant matter, whether it be from fruits, grains, seed, or nuts. So vegetable oils are the broad category, but a lot of people get certain oils confused for seed oils that are actually vegetable oils. So the list of vegetable oils includes canola, also known as rapeseed, coconut, corn, cottonseed, olive, palm, palm kernel, peanut, safflower, soybean, sunflower, grapeseed, rice bran, and avocado. All of these different vegetable oils have different arrays of fatty acid ratios varying widely in their linoleic acid content, and that's important to remember. When it comes to seed oils themselves, there is a big emphasis on the composition of the oil. So we need to quickly discuss saturated fats versus unsaturated fats. I know that you may be like, Mallory, don't do this to me with all the science, but I swear there's a reason why I'm going into this because it contributes to arguments that are made later down the line. So structurally, saturated fats are stable and less flexible than unsaturated fats. This is because they are, quote-unquote, saturated with hydrogen atoms, which makes them solid at room temperature, and they're able to withstand higher heat and therefore are more stable. So butter, for example, is a saturated fat. Because you can imagine when you see butter at room temperature, it is solid versus... When you see unsaturated fats, they are unstable, unsolid, because they have double bonds. So double bonds refer to an area on the fatty acid chain where hydrogens are missing, and this creates more flexibility and makes them more susceptible to oxidation or rancidity. So that means it's going bad, whether it be when it's sitting out 
or as they argue later, this oxidation process could happen in your body. So again, when it comes to imagining an unsaturated fat, this is why an oil such as the ones I've mentioned is not hard. It's not stable at room temperature. When there is more than one double bond, the unsaturated fat is called polyunsaturated. It is named after the first bond in the chain. For example, if the first double bond is on the third link of the chain, it's an omega-3 fatty acid. If the first double bond is on the sixth link of the chain, it is called an omega-6 fatty acid. The more double bonds, the more susceptible the fat is to oxidation via exposure to air, light, and heat. This is only important because of the fact that what we're talking about today in a majority of these research arguments, research articles, (laughs) is omega-6 versus omega-3 fatty acid. And omega-6 could also be called linoleic acid, which is what is consistently found in high levels in those seed oils. And it is a big topic for debate when we are discussing the seed oils themselves. It's very important to remember, though, that omega-6s and omega-3 fatty acids are both essential fatty acids, which means that you need some of them in your diet because your body cannot produce them. Now, something being an essential fatty acid doesn't tell us the exact amount that we need or the ratio that we need, and a lot of that conversation is going to show up in this particular article. Part of the reason why people are so passionate about seed oils is because of this ratio that we're referencing and because the makeup of these fats. In the past, omega-3s and omega-6s were often found in a certain ratio. Now that exact ratio we don't know, but it has been estimated to maybe be a one-to-one ratio. Now, just keep in mind that they're dating this particular ratio all the way back to the Paleolithic era. Era. I'm struggling with the pronunciation of certain things, if you can't tell. We're just going to keep pushing forward, though. So, we don't know, as I mentioned, exactly what that may be, but we do know that through studies of the Western diet, this ratio has definitely shifted. There are some studies that say it could be as high as 20 to 1, with omega-6s being higher within the Western diet. Now, that does not mean that everybody's ratio is 20 to 1. That would mean that if you took a huge study of people, observed their diet, and took an average, you would see something along the lines of 20 to 1. And there are many people that hypothesize that this ratio could contribute to a host of different issues, but mainly chronic inflammation that leads to quote-unquote common Western diseases such as heart disease, cancer, diabetes, arthritis. And all of these things are one of the main reasons that people discuss seed oils and are concerned about the consumption of them. To go along with that, seed oils actually were not always a part of the human diet in the way that they are today. So they were introduced into the food supply around 100 years ago. And the first form of this was actually in shortening. So Crisco was the first form. And then from there, a lot of different canola oils, soybean oils, corn oils, safflower oils, you already heard, the cooking oils were then added into food supply. But what actually really catapulted the popularity of seed oils themselves was some research that was published in the 1950s. And it unveiled this connection between saturated fat and heart disease. So as we were mentioning earlier, butter, for example, is a saturated fat. And that was what was mainly used before this. Even lard is a saturated fat versus The seed oils and things made from seed oils were mainly polyunsaturated fats. And so this was the big reason for a shift away from saturated fats like butter and lard into seed oils because people thought that this was better for their health. I want to make note of this because this is one of the biggest challenges we see in nutrition. 
So let's see, 75 years ago, we all thought that the way to cure heart disease and to be healthier was through implementation of polyunsaturated fat and removal of saturated fats. Now, so many of the people that are really against seed oils are also quite pro-saturated fats. That does not mean everyone because that's definitely not the case, but there are a huge camp of people under that belief. And they argue that polyunsaturated fats are what are contributing to inflammation and heart disease. And so the reason why I bring this up is more to just make a point about the ever-changing nature of nutrition beliefs and research within especially America, but technically all over the world. It influences the media that we see and then the beliefs that we have, but in the moment, we rarely connect that just a few years ago, a decade ago, multiple decades ago, the information could have been totally different. And we don't even ask ourselves, hmm, is this other extreme actually correct? Or do I think this may be a bounce back from another extreme recommendation? I digress and go back into the history of seed oils. Because in the decades that followed this initial shift that bridged the connection between saturated fats and heart disease, there were people that started to question this research. And there were also people that started to question if polyunsaturated fats were actually healthy. So with all of this being said you may be feeling slightly overwhelmed already about (laughs) what do I believe? Is saturated fat unhealthy for us? Is polyunsaturated fat and seed oils, are they good for us? What is going to affect my heart? How do I stop my chronic inflammation? And that is what we're going to go into next. We're going to talk about both sides of the debate and we're going to start off with the seed oils are bad side. I want to preface with the fact that the controversy surrounding these seed oils that I'm going to be discussing is the healthy, quote-unquote, versus unhealthy conversation. There are actually environmental elements that we could get into within the seed oil conversation, but because of what I focus on in this podcast, I'm not going to be fully delving into that. There's just also so much complexity when we're talking about foods and especially foods that are used in huge ways in the food industry, such as seed oils. So there is just so many angles to this conversation scientifically, ethically, climate-wise, and it could feel like complete overwhelm if I were to go through all of it. So just keep that in mind as I start in on this good side, bad side conversation. So let's start off with what the critics argue. Now, I feel like within each side, there is a level of extremity that people have. There are people that speak more specifically about the imbalance that I was discussing in terms of omega-6s to omega-3s, and talk about the complications of that imbalance and how that could affect the body in numerous ways, such as inflammation and diseases from that inflammation, such as we discussed earlier. There are also people that argue that seed oils in themselves at all are toxic and that we cannot be eating omega-6s or seed oils at all because they are horrible for your health for a number of the same reasons. There is also people on both sides of that, but even just in general, that take most issue to the processing, so the extraction process and how they produce these seed oils, especially the chemical solvents that can be used and the deodorization processes because they say that these processes can lead to the formation of harmful compounds like trans fats and oxidative oxidation products, and those have a negative effect. And then amongst all of these different areas, you have people that say specifically we shouldn't be eating processed seed oils 
that are going through these things in excess. So that kind of touches on every single one of the things that we just said, except for the extreme, extreme camp of omega-6s and seed oils in general are toxic. And toxic is the word that is most often used. So let's just dive into the arguments on this side. I feel like the first place that we need to start off with is inflammation because I just think that whenever I think of seed oils, I think of someone sharing about how they're inflammatory. I don't know if you guys feel the same, but it seems to be all over social media and also probably popping up in your day-to-day conversations. So when we look at the research that backs this, the main thing that you're going to see that has a lot of strong research studies behind it is within the ratio of omega-6s to omega-3s. When we look at omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, it can be found through systematic reviews that if that ratio of omega-6 is really high and there is a very low omega-3 ratio, especially if that person is really not ingesting many omega-3s at all, it can definitely promote inflammation, which that inflammation can then lead to the pathogenesis of many different types of diseases from cardiovascular to autoimmune and so on and so forth. Now, what's important to remember about this is that there have only been observational studies that have been associated with a high intake of omega-6 specifically that causes an increased risk of this inflammation and these diseases. Why that's important to keep in mind is because a lot of the times the claims around inflammation come around from, are said to be just because of omega-6. But what I am saying is the research out there can show us indefinitely that that ratio has a level of importance. There's a lot of research to back that, but it is not just that omega-6, so that seed oils cause that inflammation. There's no studies that prove this. There are only associations that could potentially say that there is a causation and correlation or that there is a correlation there. On top of that, there are studies that are done in animals and clinical intervention that indicate that omega-3 fatty acids do have an anti-inflammatory property and therefore they can be useful in the management of inflammation and even in connection to autoimmune diseases. So you can take from this that yes, if your omega-6 to omega-3 ratio is very off and omega-6 is very high and omega-3s are basically not present. There have been studies that have linked this to inflammation. There have not been strong studies that can link omega-6 to inflammation on its own, and there have been strong studies that have linked omega-3 to anti-inflammation. Now, we already kind of touched on how inflammation can then contribute to diseases, and that is where a lot of the claims around seed oils can come up in terms of heart disease, cancer, inflammatory bowel syndrome, autoimmune disease. I mean, there are so many of them out there. And to be 100% honest, after scouring the internet, there are not a ton of studies out there that look at the specific correlation between seed oils on their own and heart disease. As I mentioned, most of it comes about from looking at that omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, but there are some systematic reviews that talk about these areas, and we're going to be talking about heart disease a ton in the quote-unquote good-for-you side around seed oils, so I felt it was only appropriate to mention it here. So there is this review that looked at the consumption of omega-6 polyunsaturated fat, also called linoleic acid, in terms of heart disease. And it speaks about how it has dramatically increased in the Western world, primarily in the form of vegetable oils. It talks about a compound called OxLDL, which is oxidated LDL. And this is thought to play an important role in atherosclerosis. Why can I never say that word? Atherosclerosis? Please, someone try to say that word three times out loud, okay? Formation 
However, it is the oxidized linoleic acid contained in LDL that they are saying leads to these harmful oxidate, oxidized linoleic acids, which include induces atherosclerosis and CHD, which is coronary heart disease. I know that's a lot of confusing jargon, but what they're proposing is that by reducing the amount of dietary linoleic acid, so essentially the omega-6s, the seed oils, especially when they come in the form of industrial vegetable and seed oils, this will reduce the amount of linoleic acid in LDL and therefore likely reduce the oxidated LDL as well as the risk for coronary heart disease. Here's the thing. This is really important to remember when looking at systematic reviews. I am not saying that this does not hold any merit, but you need to think about the wording. So I did not add in the words likely reduce. That is exactly how this was proposed in the conclusion of this systematic review. And the reason why they are saying likely is because this cannot be proved. We do not know for sure and you even hear the word thought. So oxidated LDL is thought to play an important role in this. So this person is proposing this as an idea. They have not done a clinical study to be able to say that this is the case. Now there was an actual study that looked at prevention of cardiovascular disease and they did find that a ratio of four to one was associated with a 70% decrease in total mortality and that was in terms of the ratio of omega-6s to omega-3. So that's a lower ratio of omega-6s that they were able to see was associated with a decrease in total mortality. What's important, again, to remember about this is that is, again, talking about the ratio. This is not specifically saying seed oils, aka omega-6s. But since we're on the concept of mortality, let's talk about what we found in terms of seed oils and mortality. There was a study done, which is a population-based cohort study, so it wasn't the same as a randomized clinical control trial, but you can look at a large population and observe the data. So this study actually had 117,000 participants around that, so tons of participants. And they were able to look at information on their circulating polyunsaturated fatty acids in their plasma, and they were able to see a strong association between the ratio of circulating omega-6s to omega-3s to the risk of all-cause mortality. So again, this is in terms of the ratio, but they did see this association. Last but not least, stick with me. Let's just quickly talk about the Alzheimer's and dementia conversation because I see many of my favorite, also known as least favorite, what I would call health warriors online discuss this. And again, there's still needs to be more studies on this. There was a systematic review that was done on the current information that looked at 13 animal studies and then also 14 human studies. There were seven prospective, three cross-sectional, and only in four controlled or case controls. So good variation. And they provided evidence, but limited. This is literally what they said. Provided evidence, albeit limited, supporting an association between the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio with cognitive decline and incidence of dementia. The review also supported growing evidence on a positive association between dietary omega-6 to omega-3 and the risk of Alzheimer's disease. So what I think is again important for this is, first of all, the data that we have is not conclusive. There is not enough studies on this specific area. But furthermore, again, we are talking about the ratio of omega-6s to omega-3s. We are not talking about seed oils. This does not say, if you eat industrial seed oils, there is an increased risk of dementia. It doesn't say that if you eat seed oils, there's an increased risk of mortality. It doesn't say if you eat seed oils, there's an increased risk of heart disease. And it does not say, other than for a few observational studies, I found four 
that there is a chance that omega-6s can increase risk of certain challenges such as obesity as clinically defined, heart disease, arthritis, and inflammatory bowel disease. Why I want you guys to really understand that is not because I'm trying to persuade you that this research is not important and it's not viable. Many of these are extremely large studies and the information specifically on the ratio is very viable, but what we need to remember with all of this stuff and with any research you are presented with is correlation does not equal causation. Just because a ratio of omega-6s to omega-3s can produce inflammation, that does not mean that seed oils are inflammatory. We cannot make those causations. We can't say this equals that without supportive research. Could supportive research come out on any of those areas in the future? It could. Has it so far from the research that we've conducted? No, it hasn't. So we need to look at the actual information out there to really understand what currently is accepted around this. And I would take away from this, if I was you listening, just to drive it home, that seed oils in themselves do not cause any of the things that I just explained or anything else that I did not bring up that you may hear about online, but the ratio of your omega-6 to omega-3s is important, and we'll discuss how to be mindful of that ratio in the future because you may think, okay, Mallory, well, you're proving my point, then I need to take them out, but you'll be interested to hear some of the research and the conversation around how do we achieve this optimal ratio because that's coming next. Now, there is one other thing that we need to talk about in the seed oils are bad camp, which is the processing, which is somewhat separate from even this conversation around omega-6s to omega-3s, because when we're talking about omega-6 to omega-3, we can't see what type of seed oil was consumed to create that ratio. We can't account for processing, at least not currently or not from the research that I have seen. That would be quite complex and hard to be able to detect. But I do think understanding the processing element that many people complain about is important so you feel like you get the whole picture. So the process of commercial edible oilseed production is planting, harvesting, cleaning for impurities, shelling off the hulls, crushing and ribbing, conditioning, and then we get to expeller pressing. So all of the commercially done seed oils, which is anything that you can buy off the shelf in a grocery store, has the same initial process. Once we get to expeller pressing, this is where things can change. So it can go into pressed raw oil, which is then filtered, or it can go into press cake, which is then flaked. And this is where it can go through the whole chemical process. So they use hexane extraction, which gets it into meal, and then an oil and hexane mixture, which can then be distilled into a raw oil. And that distillation also creates hexane, which contributes to that same process. The reason why they're doing this chemical-based processing is because in doing this extra extraction, they lose less of the product. And many things in food supply, if we're being totally honest, are about making the most amount of product, losing the least amount of product. Wait, yeah, that makes sense. But losing the least amount of raw material and making the most amount of product would be a better way to say it. Now, here's the thing that a lot of people really take issue to, the bleaching and deodorizing, which creates the processed oil. So there are just pressed raw oils out there, and you can see this for pretty much any oil. Now, some such as cottonseed and rapeseed, you may not see as much on the shelves, but some oils, even that are deemed quote-unquote bad, like a vegetable oil such as canola oil or sunflower oil. We still see that in a pressed raw form. But a lot of the oils that would be used for going into a fryer or something along those lines would be bleached and deodorized. And they do this because they're trying to remove the impurities from the oil itself. Now, I need you guys to remember that bleaching in this case doesn't mean that they are taking bleach 
and deodorizing isn't the same as we would imagine deodorizing. These are separate processes. That's not me arguing for or against this process. It's just making sure that you're not feeling afraid just because I use a term that we familiarize with something else that is actually quite different in the process that I just explained. I totally see that this may feel really overwhelming as you listen to it, but I think a perspective that I just want to provide on the side of processing is that every single thing that you eat is processed to a certain extent. And if I were to explain what happens to a banana, you would be shocked at how much happens. So pretty much that entire first process could happen. And then there may be other things that even happen. And so most of the food that you're buying in the grocery store, even whole foods that are unprocessed to our, in our mind, are still processed. Does that mean that I am arguing for or against this process? Again, no. Is it generally assumed and in support of this seed oils are bad side that the more we process something, the less nutritious it is? Yes, that is what's generally assumed. Are we going to go into the argument on every single one of the chemical solvent bleaching and deodorizing processes? No. What I can tell you is that seed oils that are put through the whole process that has more steps are generally going to be less nutritious than seed oils that are not because the vitamin E and the phenols are stripped when they are going through this really in-depth full-on process all the way down to the deodorizing. Does that mean that the oil is horrible? Does that mean that it is going to harm your body, that it is toxic? We do not have research to support that. Otherwise, I would have presented that to you. So again, still the conversation that we have the strongest argument on is that ratio. Can we generally assume that when we consume... Okay, again, Otis is here. He's been with me, but I've been in here for about five hours. And if you hear that like in and out of his, uh, the microphone being louder and quieter, it was him. But now he's out. Back to what we were talking about. As I was just mentioning, can we generally assume that when something has more vitamins and minerals and when it is less processed, that it could be more nutritious for us? Yes, we can generally assume that. So that is the argument on the side of seed oils are bad, is that the processing in itself can cause a whole number of things that they they claim, but in in the most backed up stuff is what I've explained to you throughout this. So Hopefully, after going through that, you feel like you have a good idea of the research and ideas behind the seed oils are bad argument. I feel like you guys could probably have sat down before this interview and wrote out an entire list of things that people have told you about seed oils, and I tried to address as many of them as I could in this area, but also I feel like we genuinely could have been here through a three-hour podcast if we dove into every single avenue. But if I did not mention it, there is not strong research supporting it. So I hope that that comes across. Let's go into the seed oils are fine side. So first we're going to talk about inflammation. So of course the first thing we need to discuss is the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio. I'm sure you are so sick of hearing it by now, but that is obviously the thing that had the most claims on the quote-unquote bad side, so we have to flip it and give the opposite perspective. Obviously many people in theory take the information that was shared before and say, okay, well, I either have to decrease the omega-6 intake or increase the omega-3 intake. And there's a lot of omega-6s out there and there's not a lot of omega-3 out there. So I'm going to just take out the omega-6s. And this is the stance that a lot of wellness people and health people take. But this is probably the most important thing I'll say this entire podcast. So I really want you to hear this. There is only research to support increasing omega-3 intake as a way to remedy the unbalanced ratio. There is no literature that is conclusive that supports the idea that decreasing the ratio by removing omega-6s 
remedies the unbalanced ratio. In fact, in a journal written by the American Heart Association, they revealed that decreasing omega-6 intake only increases the risk of CHD. So typically, advice to decrease the intake of omega-6 is framed as a call to lower the ratio of omega-6 to omega-3s. I don't want to over-exaggerate, but I seriously cannot stress the importance of what I just read enough because this tells us that the solution is not taking out seed oils. Taking out seed oils does not change the ratio of omega-6s to omega-3s, and therefore, using that as a tool is scientifically unproven to remedy any of the ailments that have been mentioned in the argument against seed oil. There is another really great systematic review that looks at a ton of the different areas of research in the conversation of omega-6s to inflammation and cardiovascular diseases, and there's one section I want to read you guys. Advice to reduce omega-6 polyunsaturated fatty acid intake is typically framed as a call to lower the ratio of dietary omega-6 to omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids, although increasing omega-3s does reduce the risk for coronary heart disease. It does not follow that decreasing omega-6 levels will do the same. Indeed, the evidence considered here suggests that it would have the opposite effect. This, again, proves the same thing that the first example was sharing, but I do want to make note of the fact that pretty much every single study, even in this category, similar to the one before, does acknowledge that scientists do not fully understand the effects of omega-6s. They don't understand necessarily the effects of different types of omega-6s and the processing, and there is still more research to be done on how they do affect the body, but from the, what they can look at right now, they have not seen that reducing them specifically makes a change in that inflammation. There is one other argument that I just want to mention to be as thorough as possible in terms of inflammation and disease which is that omega-6s in the body convert from linolenic acid to another fatty acid called arachidonic acid. And this is a building block for molecules that can promote inflammation, blood clotting, and constriction of blood vessels. The thing is, the body also converts that acid into molecules that can calm inflammation and fight blood clots. When looking at this further, it turns out that the body actually converts very little linolenic acid into arachidonic acid. Even when the linolenic acid is abundant in the diet, the AHA reviewers found that eating more omega-6 didn't rev up the inflammation. So instead, eating more omega-6s either reduced the markers of inflammation or they left them unchanged. So just in case you were to hear it with that terminology added in, it was still disproved. Again, the actual conversation on how much omega-6 fatty acids is unclear, but if anything, they did not see that reducing it changed the inflammation markers. Enough of talking about the inflammation. Let's get into the other area, which is heart disease. So there is that argument that I was mentioning earlier around oxidized LDL and how some people say this should be the center of our focus when assessing cardiovascular risk, not total levels of LDL. If you go to the doctor and you get a blood panel, you'll see LDL on a typical one along with cholesterol or a... it's. APOB. Let's not get too in-depth into it, but just just so you guys know, that's typically what we look at, and there are some people that are arguing that we should look at oxidized LDL. So there are people that claim that seed oils, due to their high omega-6 content, increase oxidized LDL, and this therefore raises the risk of heart disease, especially if we're looking at oxidized LDL as the main problem. But there are so many different articles and research studies that prove that these theories are both, most, first of all, not true, but also that prove the potential benefits of linoleic acid. So 
A 2019 meta-analysis published in circulation, one of the top cardiology journals involving tens of thousands of people from all over the world, tracked for up to 32 years, identified that people with higher levels of linoleic acid in their blood and fat stores actually have a lower risk of major cardiovascular events. A meta-analysis of trials that included 13,000 total people showed that increasing polyunsaturated fat as a replacement for saturated fat reduced the risk of coronary heart disease by 19%. This directly is brought up in relation to the extremists that say you need to swap polyunsaturated fat to for saturated fat because there are people listening that may have heard this before. And in this meta-analysis, they concluded that for every 5% increase measured as total energy and polyunsaturated fat consumption, coronary heart disease risk was reduced by 10%. This is now just the secondary dietary intervention. Consuming long-chain omega-3 fatty acids is the first. So again, they're saying that the best thing that you can do is increase omega-3 fatty acids, but to second that, increasing omega-6 fatty acids is actually helpful for heart disease. There was also a recent study even using a new technology, which is really cool, that found that people who have higher linoleic acid expression, that is more of this omega-6 in their tissues, have less cardiovascular disease than people with lower linoleic acid expression. Why I go to the links of all of those studies and explaining them is just to show you the difference between all of the studies that have been done on polyunsaturated fat consumption which is seed oils, and how that can be beneficial for heart health. And there is also propositions that heart problems, specifically coronary heart disease, is most often caused by inflammation. So therefore, if you wanted to, a lot of people can take that and make the correlation that if you're not having those disease progressions with heart disease, then you're probably not having the inflammation that typically precedes it. Again, correlation can equal causation, so we cannot prove that that is true, but it is important to be able to have all of these different explanations when you are thinking about this. The other thing that I just want to mention is that omega-6s are found in more things than seed oils, This is not only important in terms of the conversation of, I think, why we're having a hard time finding what the correct quote-unquote amount of seed oils are, or sorry, omega-6s are, but also important in the fact that the people that are telling you specifically to remove seed oils, you have to start to question what their reasoning really is. Is it the processing? Is it that they think omega-6s are actually bad? Is it that they're trying to tell you that you need to change your ratios of these things? What is it that they're concerned about? Because those same people are probably telling you that you should be eating nuts and seeds, and those things have the same omega-6s that they could potentially be telling you are harmful for your health. It just starts to show the limitations in people's knowledge and the way that they believe false claims just because it feeds into their biases rather than actually finding out the truth from the research. I know we've gone through so much and it can feel super intense as I explain it that way, but I really want to break it down into a much more simplistic way of thinking because I don't want to make you feel like you're being fear-mongered even by me and that you leave this confused. My point is there are a lot of seed oil fear-mongers and there are some claims in terms of the ratio of omega-6s which are primarily in seed oils to omega-3s causing different things such as inflammation in our body that are substantiated. But when they are making these claims, what is it that they are suggesting? Because the current research says that this cannot be fixed by decreasing omega-6 intake, which would mean this cannot be fixed by decreasing seed oils. Now, if they're talking about processing, then there's a bigger conversation that I'll have with you guys in a second. But again, there is not substantiated research 
even differentiating between decreasing certain types of omega-6s. As of this current moment, we cannot conclusively say that any sort of decrease will contribute to any type of change, not only in the ratio, but then also in any of the claims they're making about diseases or inflammations. So what would you do if you've listened to this information and you feel convinced of the fact that it is still important to make sure that you're mindful of this ratio? Well, simply put, you would ingest more omega-3s. Omega-3s are typically found in salmon, in walnuts, mackerel, sea bass, sardines, seaweed, algae, even chia seeds and hemp seeds, flax seeds, edamame, funny enough, some soybean, so soybean oil has some, wheat germ, and then there are a number of fortified products. Mushrooms can, oh no, mushrooms are vitamin D, I'm sorry. Eggs can be fortified with omega-3. Yogurts sometimes, you can check. But to be honest, the easiest way that you would do this that most people do is a supplement. I'm not going to recommend you a supplement or not recommend you a supplement. I'm just telling you that many people do end up going for a supplement. And a brand that is very reputable is Nordic Naturals. They have many different types of omega-3 supplements. And if you would like to do the research specifically on supplementation of omega-3s, there is a lot of it out there. And you can always reach out to me and I can talk about it with you. So that's the easiest way that you can just actually make a difference that is actually proven as well. The other thing that I want you guys to keep in mind in terms of why you shouldn't stress about reducing seed oils is that the way that people talk about seed oils is almost as if they are literally in gallons and gallons of our food, when in actuality... These things exist in quite small amounts in most of the products that you may be consuming. And the seed oils that you could be cooking with that you would be buying at the store, first of all, you can choose to buy one that is not processed if you would personally like to cook with that. And then know that when you are out and about, it is in a relatively small amount that you would even having it. I don't think that's a concern that you need to have, and I'll explain why in a second. But if that is a concern for you, then you can choose one that is like a cold pressed or that is an expeller pressed that doesn't go through that extra processing. And then in your home, you are making that choice, so you can feel more comfortable about that. Plus, added bonus is that Seed oils actually have a super high smoke point, which is great because that means they're not oxidizing in many cases. So you can cook them to a higher amount, even higher than an olive oil. So there's just a lot of cool things that different types of products can do. And there are a lot of pros to seed oils that we could even continue to go into. Last thing that I want to share in terms of the whole health conversation and what to take away from this is knowing that your health is individualized. There is a reason why they cannot determine the exact ratio of omega-6s to omega-3s that would be healthy for everybody and also even the exact type that would be quote-unquote healthy for everybody. It's because no one's nutritional needs are the exact same. We are all so different. The things that make us feel good are different. The things that may not make us feel good are different. And we can't account for that in all of the research. So some article could say a one-to-one ratio, some could say two, some could say four, some could say it doesn't matter if you have a 20-to-one Ultimately, we probably will never know exactly what's going to work for you, and you can't really measure this, guys. You can't actually take out some measuring tool and figure out your ratio of omega-6s to omega-3s, and what we know right now is that you don't need to. If you are able to get in touch with yourself and actually intuitively eat, your body is going to lead you to eating things that help you to feel your best, not things that make you feel your worst. And that is the beauty of intuitive eating, but also in in just being able to listen to individually what works for you. There are so many other things that you can do for your health, for your inflammation, for cardiovascular disease, cancers, Alzheimer's, than stress about seed oils. Seriously, The research that we have on other things, such as just eating plants, lowering your stress levels, avoiding smoking, 
avoiding extreme excessive alcohol intake, and so many other things have so much stronger research than even just the implementation of omega-3s. The omega-3 implementation is actually great. It's, it's something that can be very easy to do, but I'm just saying that if you're actually worried about your health, this isn't even the number one area that you should be worried about. So you need to ask yourself, why am I actually worried about this? Now that I have all of this information, now that I understand there's so many other things that I can do to help my body feel its best, why am I still feeling worried about seed oils if you are? This also, though, leads me into the bigger conversation in terms of the psychological aspects of food and more specifically seed oils. We've had this conversation on the podcast before. The effect of stressing about food and of stress in general in your life is so negative for your body. Stress is one of the top things and most scientists say is the leading cause of inflammation. So if you are sitting around stressing about seed oils, not able to eat certain foods, not able to go to certain restaurants, not able to have a day without worrying about every single little ingredient in your food and product that you're buying, do you really think this is more helpful for your health with all the information that has been shared than releasing that stress? I can tell you as someone that was a ultimate avoider of seed oils, would not eat any seed oils at all, even asked people when I went out to eat to try to avoid them. I was at the least healthy point in my entire life when I was doing that, when I was in orthorexia, because my stress levels were so high and I wasn't even under fueling. That wasn't my, my vice, but specifically all of those stresses about ingredients were quite literally ruining my body and my life. So when you think about the seed oil conversation, you really need to ask yourself if it's actually worth it. And if you are someone that has struggles with your relationship with food or has ever had an eating disorder, I can answer the question for you that it is absolutely not. I don't think it is for anyone, but again, it's not my role to decide for you what you do with this information or whether or not you believe the research that I presented to you. It's completely up to you, and I believe in full autonomy of choice, and I support you in the choice that you make, but I can tell you, for those of you that have struggled with food, this will be detrimental. Anytime you are trying to avoid eating something, restricting an ingredient, unless, of course, medically necessary, such as you have celiac disease or a severe anaphylactic allergy, it is not going to be beneficial. It's going to harm you more than it is going to cause good. So I just want you to really keep that in mind. Even if you've gone through this entire article and you are still unconvinced by me, that I hope that that can help give you the push to remember the stress element of this above anything else. That also comes into play in terms of the processed conversation. So you could listen to this and think to yourself, well... There's not conclusive research on the processing, that processing explanation that you explained to me freaked me out. I don't want to have, freaked me out, sorry. I don't want to have chemical processes or whatever else it may be. Here's the thing. First, you can control this if you would like to in your home and if it's something that you are stressed about. Second, the things that you would be eating out and about, they have a very small level of this. In the studies that discuss seed oils even being detrimental, they always are speaking to having to have excessive amounts, which is not something that you would be doing because you would really have to go out of your way. And it still brings up the stress conversation of is it more healthy for you to be avoiding going out when you cannot control the type of seed oil or is it more healthy for you to be able to accept that it's more beneficial to be able to participate in community, to reduce your stress, to enjoy an experience than it is to do the opposite. We've gone through a lot, but let's just do the overall assessment. 
there are a lot more things that need to be taken into consideration, such as genetics, dietary pattern, and lifestyle choices, whenever we are talking about something within nutrition. In most situations, it is actually impossible to create a blanket statement saying that one food item or ingredient is universally quote-unquote healthy or quote-unquote unhealthy because health is not only subjective, it is also individualized. There is always, and I repeat always, a creative argument that can be made on either side of the nutrition claim by creating scenarios that make one thing healthier for one person than another, or by taking correlations and making them causations, or by just creating random claims that have no merit to them that people put on the internet. To give an example of how people can do this, for me, peanut butter may be a healthier snack than a dozen Twinkies, but for someone else, a dozen Twinkies may be healthier than a drop of peanut butter because that person is allergic. (laughs) We love an extreme example because it really drives home the point that we're trying to make, that you can always make a really interesting argument. And when people don't have context and education around it, they can take something that seems really confusing and put it simplistically and act like it's the truth when it's just not. The best thing that I can tell you around anything with nutrition, but also seed oils, is just eating a wide variety of foods. The more diversity you have, the better. We consistently see this when you're eating enough that's beneficial for you, when you're eating in a way that works for your lifestyle, your culture that reduces your stress and feels good for you. And beyond that, just don't listen to people who post videos from the aisle in the grocery store that make fear-mongering things around how something is toxic and will kill you. And especially don't listen to them if they go into these extremist viewpoints without any research backing it. And even if they do have research, you need to check the information. Someone I'm thinking of right in this moment is the carnivore MD. I can't even remember his name. He's the one that does only meat and he makes wild claims around seed oils. There is an entire post specifically debunking every single thing that he says and how it's untrue, but he just claims these things and people believe him because he has one research study that is actually completely faulty and does not have good backing. Plus, who knows if any of the people that you're listening to online actually could be struggling with their own disordered eating. I was this person, so let's just call me out to make it easier. I was the one that was promoting don't eat cereals, don't eat sugar, don't eat blah, 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 blah. I was struggling with an extreme eating disorder that was orthorexia. (laughs) Thankfully, I was not talking about this stuff online in the way that other people are. It doesn't mean that it's better or worse. I'm just sharing the reality, but that is the truth in the case that comes up in many of these scenarios is that they could even be struggling. With all of this being said, it's been a while since I've given a good seems like diet culture, how diet culture is the topic rating. That was the weirdest way to explain that because a lot of the topics just haven't been fitting on a good rating system. So this works in that if it's a zero, there's no diet culture at all. If it's a 10, it's the most diet culture it can possible possibly be. Now, I don't think seed oils themselves are inherently diet culture, but I would rank the conversation around seed oils right now at around a seven on the diet culture scale because of how much ambiguity and of how, wow, how (laughs) ambiguous, can you tell that being on our, let's see, hour four of recording this, I'm, I'm dwindling. Um, but I do have my kitty cat. He came back in and he is sitting in between my feet. Anyways, because of how ambiguous this is and because there are truths and what people share mixed in with lies, I think that's why it's a seven. And there are also fellow dietitians and practitioners out there that are fighting the good fight, saying that seed oils are not horrible for you. I really hope this was helpful for you. If you like episodes like this, let me know. As always, you can submit your requests in the show notes of this podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram if you would like to. You can check out my programs. If you are a practitioner wanting to learn how to share this type of information with your clients in a digestible way, then you could definitely sign up for the LUP waitlist. 
That is such an amazing program for practitioners. If you're someone that's still struggling with the implementation of seed oils, even after learning this information because of disordered eating habits, LU could be amazing for you. Or if you just wanted to listen to this podcast and maybe even potentially share it with someone, potentially leave a rating review, that would also mean the world for me. But no matter what, I just appreciate you being here so much. And I really cannot wait to see you guys back here next week.